It's good to be here with you this morning, and as Doug said, to be here with those we've been with in the past. In the past, uh, my life has been impacted by people in various churches, and I'm so thankful for that. My life has been shaped by my inner, and my life is being shaped now by my interactions with you. And by the way, please know this, and it's very important to know, whether you are young, very young, a child in the church, or an older person in the church, you have an impact on your pastor's life. Isn't that right, Brother John Henry? It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. And uh, today's Brother John Henry's birthday, by the way. He's got some family here. I think uh, he might be, won't tell what it is, but I want to thank Brother John Henry for his influence in my life. First met Brother John Henry when I was 19 years old. And he's been Brother John Henry all the way through, a great man of God and just a humble man and a loving man and a man who's impacted the lives of many people in this room. And so we're thankful for you, Brother John Henry. We've been looking at the book of Romans on Sunday morning, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning and talk about what it means to be a true Christian. One of the things that Paul has a fondness for doing in the book of Romans is, is creating contrast. He talks about being in Adam on the one hand of, and being in Christ on the other hand. And this morning we're just going to briefly look at what he says about being in the spirit on the one hand or being in the flesh on the other hand. So or I guess in the flesh or in the spirit. It should work that way if I'm going to keep my hands right. But uh, this morning we're going to, the title of the message is If Christ lives in you. And so I simply want to begin by reading uh, from chapter 8, beginning in verse 9 through verse 17. And then I have a little chart that I'm going to begin with on the screen to show you the difference in being in the flesh and in the spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give, your, will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, and I think I'm right when I say that is the first time in the entire book of Romans when Paul says, brothers, correct me if I'm wrong, you might spend the rest of the service looking through it. I just, as I think, I don't remember him saying brothers. So he says, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Now on the screen, what I'd like to do simply is to put the contrast, just to summarize what Paul has said, uh, these contrasting characteristics of being in the Spirit or in the flesh. If you're in the flesh, Paul says, you're obligated to the flesh. You can't do anything but what your passions lead you to do. You're in a kind of bondage. The difference between being in the flesh in the life of a believer and an unbeliever is that the lost man must obey the flesh. A believer can and sometimes does obey the flesh, but is not under obligation or, or of ownership or bondage. The person who is in the flesh lives under the flesh. We said according to the flesh means living under. They live under the flesh. They walk under the flesh and its power. The Christian lives under the spirit and its power and is under no obligation to the flesh. The person who is in the flesh sets their mind on the things of the flesh. The world, the flesh, and the devil consume their minds and hearts. Their whole life purpose is devoted to these things. On the other hand, the person who is in the spirit sets their minds on the things of the spirit. The focus of their life is living a life that is pleasing to God, resisting the devil, and making no provision for the lust of the flesh. Uh, those who are in the flesh... Paul says, cannot please God. The thrust of their lives is hostile to the plan and purpose of God. But the person who is in the spirit says, not my will, but thine be done, and seeks to crucify the flesh with its passions and lusts. The person who is in the flesh does not have the spirit of Christ dwelling in them, and as a result, does not belong to God, does not belong to God. The person who is in the Spirit has the Spirit of God dwelling in them, and they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a very clear contrast. Now, we're going to move from seeing that contrast to talking about what it looks like when you are a true believer. What does it look like when you truly belong to God? Well, I have a series of, of uh, principles or truths that I'm going to show you in just a moment. But first, I want to move to verse 10 so that we can see what is true of the person who does belong to Jesus Christ. And as we've done so far, we want to let the scripture speak for itself. Verse 9, it says, if the spirit of Christ dwells in you. Then in verse 10, it says, if Christ is in you. Look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. What does he mean? Well, he means simply this. If Christ is in you, you're going to continue to live in your dying body, and it's dying. We're getting older. Even if you're young, you're getting older. You're in the process. The body's in the process of the, the natural progression of youth and then age or, you know, whatever happens. Sickness, uh, unfortunately, that's just life. But your spirit is alive because of righteousness, but that's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ who fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law that Paul talked about in previous chapters when he died on the cross for you. By faith in him and in his work, I've been made spiritually alive. It's not my work. It's not my effort. Before that moment, the Bible says I was dead in trespasses and sins. So 
Paul has this idea of positionally, who you are positionally. You're either, you either are in Adam or in Christ. You are either in the flesh or in the spirit. You either belong to God or you don't belong to God. There's no middle ground there. So where are you? That's what you want to consider this morning. So one of the verses that we've looked at over and over as we talk about Christ living in you, and when the Bible, Paul talks about the Spirit being in you and Christ living in you, he's talking about the same thing. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and we'll probably not have time to talk about the fullness of that verse yet. We'll save that till next week. But when we look at that verse, you see that we have moved into the realm of spiritual possibility and spiritual power because of the fact that Christ dwells in me by the person of the Holy Spirit. And now here are our four principles that we're going to look at this morning. Here's the first one. Number one, if Christ lives in me by the person of the Spirit, what was impossible for me before is now possible because of the Spirit of Christ who lives in me. Last week, Paul talked about, we saw how he talked about the law of the Spirit of life and the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death, the law of the Spirit of life. And we said, those laws you can't find written down anywhere. It's like the law of gravity. Have you ever read the law of gravity? You can't read the law of gravity. The law of gravity is a power. And that's what Paul's talking about, two powers. One, the power of sin and death that pulls me down, that holds me back, that keeps me from being what God wants me to be. And the other, the power of his spirit that enables me, that lifts me, that fills me, that carries me forward. Christ living in my life, helping me be what he wants me to be. For me to live the life God intends me to live, I need and you need a power greater than yourself, and you must live in dependence on that power. Again, when he gives us the power of his spirit to live in us, it's not so that we can preach great sermons or so that we can perform mighty miracles, but so that we can step by step, day by day, live the Christian life. You don't need the power of the Holy Spirit to live an entire Christian life. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to live one holy minute. And if you live one holy minute, then you will live two, and you can live three, and you can live four, and on and on. But you can't live one holy minute without the power of the Spirit. Now... Because Christ lives in me, uh, I live in dependence on the enabling of the Spirit. So we have to ask the question that we asked last week. Will the pull and power of sin and death still have an impact on my life? Sometimes, yes. But I'm under no obligation to obey that pull. I don't have to yield to that pull. Instead, Paul says in verse 13, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit enables me, empowers me to do what I was not able to do before. The life I now live and the life that you now live is to be yielded up to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ who lives in me by the power and the person of his Holy Spirit. 
Principle number two, or truth number two, is going to explain this even further. Paul says this, number two, If Christ lives in me, by the person of his Holy Spirit, my life will be directed and governed by the leadership of the Spirit. Verse 14 of chapter 8, he says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. The word led comes from a Greek word that means to lead by laying hold of and bring to a destination. To lead by laying hold of and bring to a destination. Now, if, I, if, if, uh, if I'm led by Brother Doug and I'm following Brother Doug, he's, let's just say Doug's drive. You ever seen Doug drive, by the way? He drives a little fast. And if I'm trying to follow his leading with him driving and I'm in my car behind him and I'm driving, he might lose me. But that's not what this says. It says to lead by laying hold of and bring to a destination. Sometimes Doug wants Lily Kate to go with him wherever he wants to go, and he says, Lily Kate, come go with me. And what does he do? He takes her by the hand lovingly, lovingly, doesn't he, Lily Kate? Always lovingly, lovingly, and says, let's go this way, Lily Kate. And Lily Kate goes where Daddy leads her. She doesn't have to keep up with him. She's in Daddy's hand. And she's been that way since she was a little girl. He's taking care of her. He's taking her where he wants her to go. This is intimate, direct leadership. Jesus said of his sheep in John 10, 27, he said, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. If Christ lives in you by the person of his spirit, your life will be directed and governed by the leadership of the spirit. Now, who is behind the direction of your life? Have you directed your own life? Do you, did you plan out your life? Did you sit down with a note card when you graduated from high school and said, I'm going to college, I'm going to major in this, I'm going to marry this person or a person that looks like this, I'm going to make this much money, and then I'm going to retire. Did you plan your life out? Or did you say, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow your leadership. I'm, going to, I'm looking for your purpose. I'm looking for your plan for my life. You should because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Number three, if Christ lives in me by the person of his spirit, then his spirit who lives in me will assure me that I belong to him. Paul uses the term spirit in two different ways in verse 15. He talks about the spirit of slavery that leads into fear again. And then on the other hand, he talks about the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, the spirit that, that falls back into fear is the attitude of a person who has no assurance. They're forever looking over their shoulder, wondering where they stand with God. I once heard the great Presbyterian preacher, he came to seminary, Brother John Ben Hayden, from uh, he was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He, was, he had been a lawyer, and he carried a pen with him to the pulpit. Whenever he preached, he always introduced his sermon with a single sentence, with the same phrase every time whenever he preached. I remember exactly what he said that day, 40-plus years ago in seminary. He said, I had a lady once who came to me and said, Ben, I asked Jesus into my life 20 times. And 20 times, it didn't work. Let's talk about it. That's the way he'd begin his sermon. 
20 times that lady asked Jesus into her heart, and 20 times it didn't work. Who failed? Did Jesus fail or did she fail? She had no confidence, no assurance. She had a spirit of fear. Where did that spirit of fear come from? Paul says that spirit of fear doesn't come from God. It is not spiritual to go around wondering if you're saved. God doesn't want you to wonder. He doesn't want you to have doubts. They don't come from God. Now, if you have this spirit of fear, the first concern that you should have is that the devil could make you doubt something so sure as salvation. Second, you should be concerned that you might not be saved at all and that the spirit of fear that you have is because you're in the flesh and not in the spirit and you don't belong to Christ. The spirit of fear does not come from God. What God gives you is one word. Well, it's the spirit of adoption as sons. And the phrase adoption as sons is one Greek word, weothesia in the Greek. It's a, it's a Roman legal term, and it doesn't mean adoption as daughters. A daughter can never be adopted as a daughter with this term. It's always adoption as sons, which means daughters, you have adoption as sons too if you're a Christian. You have this. It's a legal term. Let me explain that to you what it means. It means that and only that, adoption as sons. And in the world of that day, the term referred to the legal transfer of a son from one family to another. Let's say there was a, a young man who had been a slave. And this guy said, I'm going to adopt him into my family. But his father has a lot of bills that had to be paid. So one of the things that first was taken care of was all the debts were paid. All the debts that were obligated to that son were paid for by the adopting father. The other thing was, it guaranteed that the adopted son, once placed into the family, could never be disinherited. It is a place of permanence and conveys, once done, an absolute assurance. If I don't have that assurance, either I'm listening to the wrong spirit, and I'm not listening to God's spirit, or I don't belong to Christ at all. The spirit of adoption as sons, Paul says, in this verse, brings such an immediate intimacy to us that it causes us to cry, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Now that's a contrast in terms because father is a legal term. Father is something you might write on it. My father is, my mother is, if you're filling out some kind of form. My girls don't call me father. My girls call me daddy. They call me daddy because... They have confidence in me. They call me daddy because they know I love them. They call me daddy because they know without any shadow of a doubt they belong to me. There's an assurance there. Paul goes on to say, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you have such an assurance? Look at verse 17 now and then we go to our fourth and last principle. If we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. Here's principle number four. If Christ lives in me by the person of his spirit, God will allow a measure of difficulty into my life, a measure of suffering that will cause me to look for and long for a future glory. It will cause me to sing 
the hymn of heaven. If children, then heirs. I love the story of the prodigal son. Uh, and I discovered something in that story. You already know it's there, but I never paid much attention to it. You know, the prodigal, there are two sons. One comes to his father and says, I want what's coming to me, and I want it now. He was snotty. He was rude. He was hateful. And so the father divided between the two sons his living. However much the younger son got, I don't know, maybe he got a quarter, maybe he got half. It really doesn't matter. He goes out and he wasted. He blows it. So whatever portion of, that his father had, it was completely gone. It was, it was wasted. Well, when he comes home, the father receives him back because he's a father, he's a child, and the father receives him back like a son, throws this big party for him, kills the fatted calf, puts the ro robe on his back, the ring on his finger. You know the story. But the elder brother, he's mad. He said, look, you've never done something like that for me. He's comparing himself. You've never treated me that way. But then the father says something to that son that's remarkable to me. He said, son, you've always been with me. Now listen. And everything I have is yours. Do you know that he could have said the same thing to the younger son? Although the younger son was selfish and hateful and spiteful, he would have said to the younger son, everything I have is yours. I'm an only child. I don't have any brothers or sisters, but I cannot tell you how many times my daddy said that to me through the years. Son, if you ever need anything, you just tell daddy because everything I have is yours. You're not looking forward to a mere cabin in the corner of glory land. All of heaven is yours because you are one of his children. Everything he has is yours. That's the assurance that God wants you to have. If some measure of difficulty is my assignment here, it's preparing me for the glory of heaven. It's not an indication that God doesn't love me. I don't have to look and compare my state to another one of God's children. God made this person stronger or better looking or God gave this person more money or a better opportunity. I don't have to look across and see people that way. God loves me. And he, everything I have is his. God's not going to give me ever, ever give me anything but his best. And he's preparing a home in heaven for me, a future glory, a land that is fairer than day, unclouded by sorrow and suffering and sin and difficulty. You remember Peter and John, Jesus talking to Peter about Peter's future. After Jesus had been crucified and before he ascended to heaven, he was talking to Peter and he said, Peter, you got, you got some rough days ahead. And Peter wasn't quite comfortable with the conversation and he looked at John and he said, well, what's going to happen to John? And essentially Jesus said, it's none of your business, Peter. If I want him to remain until I come, that's up to me. You got one assignment. Follow me. And what the Lord was telling Peter is what Paul's telling us here. Peter, there are going to be some days ahead when you're going to begin to feel like, man, this world is not my home. And you're going to begin to groan for glory. You're going to begin to say, man, I'm ready to leave this place. This, this world doesn't feel like, 
like, like, it, like it ought to to me anymore. I know I'm not meant for here. My citizenship is not here. This is not my home. My home is in heaven. And that's what Paul tells us. Our citizenship is in heaven, out of which we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask you this morning, is Christ in you? Are you leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit to live your everyday life? Is your life under the leadership and lordship of His Spirit? Is He leading you and bringing you to a destination? Do you have the glorious assurance that you've received the adoption of sons and can never be disinherited? Do you more and more as the days go by long for and pray for and groan for glory.